0: prayer will be offered by the guest chaplain, Reverend John Randalls, Victory Life Church, Lubbock, Texas. Holy and most high God, we come before you grateful for your gift of life. All good things come from you. We acknowledge that powerful truth. I pray for these leaders who serve this Congress today the wisdom to make choices that are righteous, just, and good for all Americans and all peoples beyond. I pray those leaders, the humility, to remember that if they seek your ways, you will guide their journey to those choices that are always best. I pray with all my heart that all of us as Americans strive to know who we are, to know who and what we serve, to know where we're going. Bless them as they lead us. And may we all seek with our lives to leave a shadow that makes a difference for freedom, for truth, goodness, and always with encouragement. Acknowledging you, we pray. Amen. That was my
1: dad, and he would end up passing away from pancreatic cancer two weeks later. Um, It was a special, special moment uh, where he got to finish his race so, so well. So for those of you who've been around for this study that we've been doing on Elijah, we have finally come, after months and months of study, to the end. Second Kings chapter two are the last days of Elijah uh, in his time here on earth, and the way that he passes the baton for what is to come. It begs the big million dollar question that we're gonna kinda navigate around today. Have you ever been around someone at the end of their life before? Have you ever been around someone at the end of their life? Uh, Many of you who've been around Waterfront have seen that video many times. It was such a powerful, powerful moment for me personally. Uh, And uh, it's tough for me to read the story of Elijah, specifically Elijah's end, and not think of that specific moment that we just watched together. And so I appreciate you indulging me so that we could go through it one more time. If you got your Bibles, open to to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and then we're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 2. Again, addressing the question to start, have you ever been around somebody at the end of their life? Um, I can tell you from personal experience, I had a very powerful blessing in that uh, uh, back in uh, early ministry days, my first job as an intern was I was the intern of pastoral care uh, at First Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, that meant that I was in charge of gathering all the information for hospital and nursing home visits, and so uh, it was a great experience there. At the time, the church had about 3,500 in weekly attendance, and so it was a pretty big job uh, trying to gather all that information. I had a guy named Jerry Huggins uh, who discipled me and was the head of that department, uh, but he allowed me to really see in on the inner circle uh, with all the things that were going on. And I'll tell you, it's tough. Any of you who've done hospital or nursing home visits know, I mean, there is a hefty dose of your own mortality that comes in uh, in those early days of those moments going in. But the joy that is present uh, in being able to walk with someone as they are about to cross the finish line is so powerful. For me, it culminated uh, when I got to meet a man. I think I was 21 years old at the time. This guy had worked worked as an FBI instructor uh, but had then retired to Lubbock, Texas of all places. And uh, this man, towards the end of his life, had been very, very brilliant and again, top of his field and uh, high level of education and uh, all of a sudden, there he is. He can't speak. He's got a feeding tube down his throat and uh, he's got a 21-year-old intern that's uh, that's there with him in his last days uh, to pray with him by his bedside. And I'll never forget It was so powerful. I walked up. He couldn't speak to me. You could see that again he was slowing but still he was in there he was sharp and i remember i walked over grabbed his hands prayed for him he couldn't speak because of the tube in his mouth he'd end up passing away about three days after this I grabbed his hands, prayed for him, and I said, okay, sir, I'll see you tomorrow. He shook his head, grabbed my hands as tight as he could, and then I could see his lips moving. He was praying for me. This side of heaven, will never know what it is that he prayed for me, but I will never forget that day when that man passed the blessing on to me. If you're taking notes, I'd like to ask you to write this down. Are you ready? A great blessing comes from walking with someone at the end of their life. Let me say that again. A great blessing comes from walking with someone at the end of their life. I think that those of us who uh, obviously we've, uh, every one of us in this room have lived through this COVID situation in the last couple of years, last year and a half, uh, know this to be very, very true. But it's the passage of scripture that the Lord has put in front of us today. Remember, we don't skip verses. We go through all of them. And this is the one that the Lord has placed in front of us today to Remember again, a great blessing comes from walking with someone at the end of their life. There's two passages that parallel each other, 2 Kings chapter 2, and then also 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look with me if you will, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Here's what it says. Paul is writing, by the way, most scholars believe between two weeks and two months before the end of his life, when he will be executed, he knows the end is near. And here's what he says in verse 6. He says, Timothy, for I am being poured out like a drink offering, underline poured out like a drink offering, and at, and at, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight, underline fought the good fight. I have finished the race, underline that word finished there. I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me, underline in store for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have longed, for the Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. Stop right there for just a minute. Look at the word usage that the Apostle Paul throws out here. He says, I feel poured out towards the end. So many can feel this attitude of emptiness. They know that the end is near. He's fighting the good fight. He's persecuted but persevering in the face of all odds. And his mind has been drawn to what's in store for him after these days. And he says not just what's in store for him, but what's in store for every believer in Jesus Christ. It's a very somber time. I told Denver right after this, after a really, really exciting, fun, happy worship portion, all of a sudden we jump into this message that God's given us. Not a one of you is here by accident today, and it may just be that there's some of you that the Holy Spirit is gonna touch your heart and touch your mind, that there is someone in your life, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, a loved one, that you need to reach out to, because their journey is coming to an end or maybe because there's a powerful conversation that you need to have with them and you're not assured another day that you could have that discussion that is the story of Elijah and elisha in second Kings chapter 2 now flip that direction and we're going to address this question today how do you help someone you love finish their race well how do you help someone you love? finished their race well. For some of you, this is going to be so applicable for right here, right now. For some of you, it'll be applicable in the near future. And for some of you, again, it'll be a look back on one of your situations, just like I will look back today on one of my situations where I'm able to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of how I walked with someone in their last days. Now look at 2 Kings chapter 2, and let's read verses 1 through 3. So again, we've got the end of Elijah and kind of the dawning of Elisha here. Here's what it says. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind. Now stop right there for just a minute and underline the Lord was about to take Elijah. What I want to point out on the subject of death before we ever even get started is it's the Lord who numbers your days, not a doctor. Even though doctors and nurses are incredible resources for us that help us understand, no one knows the days of the hour except for God Himself. And you need to know, just like the hairs on your head are numbered, the Lord is the one who numbers your days and he is the one who ordains your steps. That's a powerful thing to remember. And for those of you who are meeting with or praying with someone that is staring death in the face, that is a wonderful thing to be able to remind them on a day when they get a bad report. When the bad report comes in, you got to remember, God numbers the days, God is the one who ordains the steps. It's ordained by him, it's not set again by science or set by an equation or an algorithm. So again, it's says here, it was was Elijah's time when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, no man, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. All of a sudden a company of prophets, these are preachers at Bethel, come out to Elijah and say, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Watch what Elisha does here. Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Circle, highlight, and underline, but do not speak of it. Now, here's what's interesting. As Elijah and Elisha are traveling together, they get to a company of prophets, and here's what we find out, that Elijah did not just have this mark on him from the Lord that he was about to ascend into heaven, that he was about to, he was about to leave this earth. What we find here is that he probably looked a bit sick at this time as well. There is something on him where visibly uh, other people can see. It looks like he's going to die. today that his life on this earth is going to end right here and right now notice what Elisha says yep i know i'm aware of it but maybe we shouldn't say anything about this to elijah now if you're taking notes write this down how do you help someone you love finish their race well number one be intentional in your conversations Be intentional in your conversations. Sometimes intentional in your conversations is knowing not just what to say, but what not to say to somebody that's going through a time of difficulty. One of the things that uh, Brother Jerry taught me in our pastoral care visits is he said two things. He said, number one, do your best when you go in to not only talk about their pain. Can I tell you why that's important? Because the last thing you want is a friendly face who's just brought hope into the room with them All of a sudden going, you feel awful, don't you, right? Walk me through every gory detail about how awful you feel. Some people want to talk about that, but for the most part, when you come in and bring the hope of Christ when you walk in the room, try not to be the one that immediately brings up the elephant in the room. That's what Elisha says here. Yep, we know it. I see it the same way that you do. Now let's just not do our best to talk about it. Just so you know, we experienced this with my dad. Dad was doing chemo. He had neuroendocrine stage three pancreatic cancer. And uh, we preachers, when we get to hurt um, physically, we can get more dramatic than we are originally. I mean, I'm a pretty dramatic person. Dad was pretty dramatic. When we're in physical pain, anybody gets just a little bit more dramatic. And so dad would say this. He was going through chemo, and his chemo stretches, they were like eight-hour stretches of chemo because it was just this heavy blitz. And then he looked it up online, his particular chemo was scorpion poison. And so I'm telling you, he's got just this heavy deal. I was at one of the elements that he was taking in chemo. And so I remember I'd call him, and the first thing I'd want to say to him is, Dad, how's your chemo going? And one day in particular, he was literally getting the chemo right then as I called, and it comes out of my mouth. Hey, Dad, how's your chemo going? Well, how do you think it's going, right? All of a sudden, Dad goes, son, Talk to me about anything but the poison coursing through my veins. And he said it just like that. Talk to me about anything but the poison coursing through my veins. And it was like, oh, gosh. So we could talk about ministry. We could talk about family. We could talk about the likes and dislikes that we have. We could talk about football. But can I tell you what he didn't want to talk about? He didn't want to talk about the poison. He didn't want to talk about the pain. Elisha comes in and gives us a very, very practical piece of truth here. He goes, he's going to heaven. But don't talk about it. It's a heavy thing for him to navigate. Intentional conversation with somebody towards the end is knowing when to say it and when to let something go. Now, just for the record, sometimes the intentional conversation is knowing I have little time left on the clock and there are some things that desperately need to be said. Some conversations that desperately need to be had. I was very, very blessed to get to have a spiritual conversation with my father-in-law. Um, Autumn's dad. Autumn was adopted when she was four years old um, by uh, by her uh, by her stepfather, and uh, Autumn's mom is her biological mom, uh, but Autumn's stepfather adopted her, and uh, he never really had a high view of ministers, and so uh, it's just one of those things, just the the way that he grew up, the background that he went through, uh, he had good reason to. He had been around some some pretty shoddy ministers over the years, and so um, I'll never forget when Autumn and I get together, it was not like this huge embracing moment. It was. Kind kind of like, all right, let's see how this goes. And so we just kind of watched the situation unfold. Well, um, he owned uh, owns a piece of property out in Nakona, Texas, about 75 acres. And one of his favorite things to do, uh, for any of you who have uh, friends or relatives with an agricultural background where they own some land, his favorite thing to do, because again, Autumn and I would be the heirs one day, is he would take us out and drive the property line to show us again exactly what was there so that the neighbors wouldn't try to take any land, right? So you just try to figure out what the property lines. We drive it over and over again. So this particular day, we'd driven the property line so many times, and he'd always take me by myself, and or me with Autumn. This particular time, he said, "I want to go with you." He said, "Hop on the tractor." He had a Kubota. He said, "Hop on the Kubota," and he goes, uh, "Let's have a discussion." We're driving the property line, but this time he stops on the furthest end of the property. And I remember thinking to myself, he's gonna kill me. Right here it is, you know, (laughs) back into the property. You know, he's showed this to me all these years. It was foreboding, you know, for this moment. And I'm telling you, we're sitting there. He turns off the engine and he goes, I got a question for you. I said, okay. He said, you know I got a bad report on my heart. I knew that he was having heart problems. I didn't know that he'd gotten a bad report. He goes, you know, I got a bad report on my heart. I said, I didn't know that. I said, I just knew you were having problems. He goes, I want to ask you some questions about, you know, he said, the big man upstairs. I said, what do you want to know? And in the moment, he and I had always kept pretty good boundaries because I knew his past. I knew what he'd gone through. And so I tried not to, as the son-in-law, I tried not to encroach on those. But all of a sudden, we have this moment, and he has ripped down that fence. And he is asking, and I'll be honest with you, I was nervous, and I almost didn't say anything at all. But it hit me, the regret that I would live with if we didn't finish that discussion. I said, well, you know, I said, as far as eternity goes, it's not about the big man upstairs, it's about Jesus. I said, his shed blood covering our sin, God sent his son to save us. I said, you get to go to heaven when you believe in Jesus. He said, well, how do I know? I walk him through the plan of salvation, and in that moment, my father-in-law, who I have never seen cry before or since, tears filled his eyes, And he prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. It was the most beautiful, amazing moment five years in the making from this day that we met each other. i tell you that to say this. I can speak to you with power today and I will share that story at my father-in-law's funeral one day, letting the congregation know with peace that we will see our brother again for the decision he made for Christ. For some of you, the intentional conversation is to leave some things alone that need to be left alone. And for some of you, if it's someone in your life that's not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know you had that discussion. You need to know you shared Christ with them and gave them an opportunity. Because again, that's the stuff that's gonna haunt you later if you don't have it. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Are you ready? Think and pray through what needs to be said or asked as well as what needs to be left alone. Say said again, think and pray through what needs to be said or asked as well as what needs to be left alone. Save your spot there in 2 Kings and now flip over to 2 Timothy again, chapter four. And I want to read verses nine through 13. We get to see the intentionality of Paul here. Look at what it says, 2 Timothy chapter four, verses nine through 13. And I want you to underline all the names that Paul throws out here. This is very intentional. He says, do your best, Timothy, to come to me quickly. Underline, do your best to come to me quickly. He says, this is urgent. This is intentional. This needs to happen, not just in the future, but it needs to happen now for Demas because he loved the world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica Crescens has gone to Galatia Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is here with me, go get Mark remember this is the same John Mark that Paul and Barnabas part ways over a discussion of how he should be discipled as someone growing in his faith, he goes go get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry, I sent Tychus to Ephesus and when you come bring the cloak that I left with you in Carpus at Troas and my scroll especially the parchment. Stop right there for just a minute. I love this because at the end, we get the humanness of Paul, where Paul says, come quickly, be very intentional in the conversations that you have with the other believers. But when you come, my body's in rough shape, man. I need a cloak. It's cold here in the dungeon that I'm in. And not just that, I need a spiritual warmth as well. Bring me the parchments, bring me the Bible so that I can read it with my own eyes one more time, this side of heaven. What a beautiful picture. When someone's at the end, those intentional moments need to happen quickly. It begs the question, I know the grammar on this is not good, it just makes sense to say it this way. You ready? You got something to say, all right? You got something to say? (laughs) Then say it before it's too late. You got something to say? Say it before it's too late. Consider this to be a moment truly where the Spirit has spoken through your pastor to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit that there is somebody that you need to talk to in some conversation that you need to have. This could be something that changes your life forever. Now flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2, and let's look at verses four through six as we keep moving forward. Save your spot there in 2 Timothy, though. We'll be back to it, all right? Here's what it says in verse four. It says, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and they asked him again, do you know that the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but don't speak of it. Then Elisha said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on to Together. Stop right there for just a minute. We get three instances where Elijah says to Elisha, dude, go on with your life. I'm at the end. This is the end for me. I've got this weight that I'm carrying. You go live your life. You go do your thing. You're a gifted leader. God has a great future in store for you. Just let me be and let me die. And do you see what Elisha does? Elisha does what the godly person does in this circumstance. He says, as long as the Lord lives and you live, I'm sticking.'" with you, all right? In the words of the Pussycat Dolls, I'm going to stick with you, all right? There you go. First time in the history of any sermon you've heard the Pussycat Dolls quoted, all right? There you go. Now listen, I hope it would be memorable for you to say this. If you're taking notes, how do you help someone finish their race well? Number one, be intentional in your conversations, whether they're saved or unsaved. And number two, be present and available. Be present and available, They will try to push you away, even if they push you away. Do your best to be present and available. Three times the man of God says, go away, stay here, do some ministry, I've got to go on. And Elisha has the wisdom and the presence of mind to say, I'm walking with you until you take your last breath here on earth. Now listen, for several of you, you need to know because your friend, relative, loved one that is going through this is going through it somewhere else because you have relocated to this city. There are ways to be present and available even when you are not in the same town. It is very, very possible. I don't know how many stories we've heard through the COVID era where you could not physically go into the hospital with the person who was navigating those last days, and yet you make the effort to be present and available, to let them know I'm not going anywhere and if you need me, I will be available. It's been my experience that the best of the best always try to think of ways to weasel out of being around you because they, in their own weird way, want to help you get on with your life when they are getting close to the end of theirs. Fight through that and be present even if they push you away. I had the privilege to get to work at a camp called Trailblazers in New York State. Um, It was started by Teddy Roosevelt years and years ago, like in the 1880s. And so uh, this camp took kids from Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Queens with a history of violent behavior and we took them out into the wilderness, basically. It was a black bear habitat. I mean, you talk about scary, I lived in dirt floor teepees through that summer. For those of you who know me, I am not outdoorsy at all, and I lived a whole summer in, uh, in dirt floor teepees with a bunch of inner city kids with a history of violent behavior, and so uh, it was, there are some great stories from that time I can share with you at another, another point, but it was, it was intense. All that to say, literally intense, and then intense. There you go, moving on. There you go, a little, little joke there. So we're out there, 21 days we have each group of kids, and here's what we noticed. First seven days were rough, the middle 10 days were just like heaven. It was so special because these kids that had no consistency gained confidence because they were finding success, and it was a situation for a lot of cases with these kids where they were not being abused at home. And so I'm telling you, it was a place of freedom, and the 10 days in between, in the middle, were just the absolute best. They told us to be ready for the last four days. They said the last four are even worse than the first week. And we said, why? They said, we call it GHB. GHB stood for going home behavior. What these kids subconsciously did is they realized what a lot of people figure out at the end of their life that it's a whole lot easier to say goodbye to someone that you love when you hate them in that moment than it is if you are at the peak of your care and love for that person. It's a lot easier to say goodbye to someone you hate than it is to say goodbye to someone that you love. So, guess what these kids would do? They'd thrash against us, and then all of a sudden we'd have a moment where we'd embrace at the end. And you'd watch it. That almost caused them more pain to go through that at the end because they just wanted to be mad at you so that they were glad when they saw you walk out that door instead of completely and totally destroyed. How do you fight through that? You stay present and available, you increase the number of visits so that then you don't run into that same problem. They subconsciously begin to understand they're not going anywhere. They're gonna be here till the end. If you're taking notes, this might be the most practical thing I share with you all day. You ready for this? The pressure for a perfect end of life interaction decreases when your number of interactions with the person increases. Let me say that again. Pressure for a perfect end-of-life interaction decreases when your number of interactions with that person increases. Give you this example. Let's say that you come in to visit somebody one time and you know this is the one time that you're actually going to be able to see them, but they've had a bad day. Their body hurts physically and they end up saying something to you that they did not fully mean even from the moment that it left their lips. If that is the last interaction that you had, then I'm telling you, it creates a ripple effect that goes deep into the future. What you have to have the wherewithal and the presence of mind to do is to then initiate another interaction so that that's not the way that it ends. Increase the number of visits so that then you can increase the odds of not having one of those moments. Ecclesiastes puts it this way. Save your spot there in 2 Kings and flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In Ecclesiastes 7, here's what Solomon writes. He says, do not pay attention to every word people say. Underline and highlight that. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. You know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others, all right? Here's the picture that comes from Ecclesiastes. Sometimes people say things that they don't mean. Shocker, right? Sometimes even we say things that we don't fully mean. Why do they come out? Because the emotion. Motion of the moment because of what we're navigating, it seems right at the time. It's incredibly difficult when that is specifically with somebody that's toward the end where you don't have an opportunity to get it right. I want to encourage you be present and available even when people push you away. It decreases the pressure and it allows you to know I will see that person again and when they have a better day, we can have a better discussion. It begs the question should you make a call or a visit? Should you make a call or a visit? I know you're busy. I know you got stuff going on. But the Holy Spirit may be speaking you to specifically today that you need to initiate one of those present and available visits with somebody because they need it so desperately. My favorite movie of all time is Tombstone. You ever seen Tombstone before? It's my absolute favorite. focuses on the friendship between Wyatt Earp, uh, played by uh, Kurt Russell, and then uh, Doc Holliday, played by Val Kilmer. It's my absolute favorite movie of all time. And uh, the second-to-last scene, which, by the way, that's a spoiler, but, man, you had, like, 30 years to see this movie, okay? And so here's the deal. In the movie, there's this beautiful scene where Wyatt Earp is there to visit Doc Holliday as he's dying of tuberculosis. And you remember, he's laying in the bed and he's having a bad day. The end is right there. And Val Kilmer just plays the angsty Doc Holliday so well. He's laying there in the bed, and Doc Holliday comes in and lives the first point of the message. He comes in, and all Doc wants to talk about is death, but he's not having it. Brings out a deck of cards and starts to deal. And do you remember, Doc Holliday goes, I don't want to play. I don't want to play anymore. And of course Wyatt Earp just fights through and he goes, looks like you want two cards. I'll take them. Here, take your two cards and let's play. I call you, Doc. And as they go through, they're fighting back and forth and you watch it just like Elijah. Doc Holliday's going, go away. Leave me alone. Stay away from me. Leave me alone. But at the truth, he loves having his friend there. And so it culminates in this line. He looks at him and he goes, Wyatt, you are fallible, stubborn, bullheaded, and you are the only man who has ever given me hope in my whole life. You see, be present and available, and then you're able to cut through the mess and take the nugget of truth. Push away, push away, push away. But the truth is, if you're there at the end, that means so much to anyone that you would be there through that time. Be present and be available. And now look with me at 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 as we close. We're going to have to kill Elijah next week, all right? You ready? 2 Kings chapter 2, and now let's read verses 7 and 8. It says, So 50 men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, underline they stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. So Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Don't miss this. It starts with the company of 50. But those 50 prophets, knowing that Elijah is near the end, it says that they follow at a distance. For whatever reason, they choose to keep a distance between the two where Elisha stays right next to him. He is near to him all the way until the end. And then what happens? Elijah and Elisha together get to experience something that the Israelites had not experienced in multiple generations, the waters parting, so that they could cross the Jordan River together. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do you help someone finish, how do you help someone you love finish their race well? Number one, be intentional in your conversations. Number two, be present and available and number three, fight the fear and be near. Fight the fear and be near. If you can keep from being one of the company of 50 that stands at a distance to be one of the two that sticks close to Elisha in there, to Elijah in that moment, when you fight the fear and you stay near where you're not just present, but you are engaged in that person's life struggle, when we do that, we get to experience things that are absolutely miraculous. you're taking notes write this down if you stay close to the situation you will share in their miracles firsthand if you stay close to the situation you will share in their miracles firsthand do you remember going to the hospital or icu for the very first time i remember going on that visit i'd always been the one that kind of stayed in the waiting room and then when i got that internship i had to go in And the first time I went by myself without Brother Jerry going with me, I remember I felt like my stomach was turning over. I felt like I was walking on eggshells. You know when your skin kind of stands on in because you're just so nervous and concerned about things? I remember seeing wires, hearing the beeps, there were flashing lights, and the nurses are so intense when you go into ICU compared to, again, kind of the the open set that you have when someone's going in for an outpatient surgery. And I remember walking in, and I felt so nervous and everything in me wanted to just turn and run out the door on the other side. But if you fight the fear of that moment, people are so gracious, they're so grateful when you come in to visit them and some of the most beautiful spiritual moments happen right there in the corridors corridors of that ICU hallway. When you fight the fear to stay near, there is a great miraculous blessing that comes along with that. Some of you have had the experience of going to a nursing home before. One of the reasons you struggle with it is because again, it reminds you of your own mortality. But have you ever had the moment where you fought the fear, you went in, you made the visit and it was something that overflowed blessing onto your life as you poured out blessing onto that person's life? Joy began to overtake your heart and the peace of Christ was transferred to you in that moment? How do you help somebody finish their race well? They need to know when they look at you that you're not afraid of them, that you fought the fear and you stayed as close As you possibly could stay. I had a really cool moment toward the end of my dad's life. There was a day where, um, you think about this too, dad died before the church was even a year old. Preached his last sermon here at Waterfront Church, um, prayed at Congress that same day, and then he flew home, and then two weeks later he passed away. And uh, the way that his cancer worked, he lost the ability to speak when he had a week left to live. He could speak in one sentence, then the next day it was one word, and then the cancer had overtaken his lungs in such a heavy way he just couldn't breathe, and so he just stopped talking altogether. And so... um, He fought, he didn't want a catheter so badly of all the weird things. He didn't want, I mean, I get it, you know, it's not comfortable. He didn't want a catheter. And so I think he felt like once they put that thing in, I'm never getting out of this bed again. And uh, he fought it and fought it and fought it. And one night in particular, um, we had fought through. We stayed, a dear friend named Scott Hicks. Scott Hicks was sleeping in the chair. Dad's in the hospital bed and I'm sleeping on the couch. I'd just flown in from D.C., and I've got my glasses sitting over on the the, the little ledge area, and um, I remember Dad got up. It was about two o'clock in the morning, and he got up to try to climb and, and to go to the bathroom. But you got to remember, he had been like a he'd been like 275 pounds before the cancer, and then in a period of nine months, he was down to like 165. He was just so so small, and all of his muscle was gone. And I remember he tries to get up like he had done for 58 years and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden his legs have no muscle. And I look up and we see him about to fall. And I run and grab him and whip him around so he doesn't fall. And we go head to head. It was forehead to forehead, nose to nose. And I remember his face was just so gaunt. And he had his mouth open his face was just so gone. I would end up having nightmares of that face just for months after. And uh, I remember he's face-to-face, nose-to-nose with me, and Scott goes, I'll get the nurse. I'm going to go get help. He runs out, and then there, Dad, I are in that moment. And he looks at me, and he goes, thank you. He had gray, colorless eyes. He said, thank you. I said, no problem, Dad. We're going to get you taken care of. And he goes, no, no, thank you. He'd pass away a week later. He wasn't just saying thank you for catching, he was saying thank you for all of it. It's one of my favorite moments, one of my favorite moments. When you fight the fear to stay near, the Lord provides those moments that are truly memorable and it didn't matter that he was fighting the catheter, what mattered was that he was my father, that he loved me, that I loved him and I was doing my best to help him cross the finish line while he was doing his best to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Stay close to the situation. You get to see those miracles firsthand. One last verse, and we'll close. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. If you are one of the ones who are here today that would say, Zach, I really could have used this sermon about eight months ago. You're giving this to me now. I've got good news for you. If you are one who is sitting there doing a postmortem, just like I have done in the past and said, you know what, there's some things I don't feel like I did very well through the end. I want to share the good news with you. Here's what Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, you know what, my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. He's talking about having to go through this situation alone. But look at what he says. The heart of the discipler, the heart of the Christ follower, may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side. Underline and highlight, the Lord stood at my side. He gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Underline, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. What a powerful illustration of someone staring death in the face. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. What a powerful word here from the apostle Paul at the end to say. Even if no one was here, even if I felt deserted and all by myself through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord stood at my side. The Lord gave me strength. He's been more evident to me now than it's ever been through my entire life. He's delivered me from the lion's mouth, from what could be a wicked, awful end. He's delivered me. He will rescue me. And he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. What a powerful thing for us to remember it begs the final question today. Does somebody need your help? Does somebody need your help? Is there someone that the Holy Spirit has placed in your mind or in your heart that you need to reach out to and help them as they walk these last steps? I promised you guys we'd preach through all these verses. There's some hard ones in there. There's some tough ones. But nobody is here by accident today. It is my prayer that if the Spirit's put someone on your heart, that you would reach out to them and help them walk it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read, with nobody looking around but just me. These are hard discussions to have, but maybe, just maybe, the Lord is stirring your heart today because God, in his great mercy, wants to save you from a tidal wave of regret. He wants to use you to impart encouragement and wisdom to someone else. He wants to grow you and empower you to be his hands and feet. And the way he does that is that when he puts someone on our heart, that we say, yes, Lord, I will do what you've asked me to do. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, I got something to say to somebody. There's an intentional conversation that I need to have. Just for the record, it may not necessarily be with somebody who could pass away in the near future. It may just be something where you go, you know what, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And there's something I need to say. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you would just have the courage to commit that by raising your hand, if that's you, just lift your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you, so many of you. If that's you, I'm gonna pray for you but you just pray this simple prayer. God, I will say it. God, I will say it. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to schedule a visit. There's somebody that I need to reach out to and go see. They know you're busy. My dad knew I was busy. We were all the way up here in D.C. starting a new church, and yet I still tried my very best every time there was an opening, to call him on the phone and to get down to Texas to see him. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need to schedule a visit. There's somebody I need to see. I know I'm busy. I know I have responsibilities and obligations, but I need that person to know that I am present in their lives. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, I'm gonna pray for you, but you know what to do. Before the sun goes down tonight, make your plans, and then make that phone call. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, I'm available, but the truth is, I'm kinda happy to be in the company of prophets, and I need to cross the Jordan with this person. I need to stick close to them. They don't just need to know that I'm in their corner, they need me to walk with them for a time. That's a very, very powerful thing. And again, you can do that from a distance, but it's just about being much more intentional with your interactions. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need to fight the fear and stay near to this person. I need to cross the Jordan with them. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. That takes a lot of guts. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But that is a commitment prayer to Almighty God. You need to pray. God, I commit to be there for them. God, I commit to be there for them, to stick close. And Lord, I pray you would give me courage. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, we thank you that we get to not only see the glorious beginning to Elijah's life, but we also get to see the end as he claws and scratches forward, trying to live for you with every last breath in his lungs. Lord, we pray today that if you have placed someone on our heart, I pray that you would give us the guts to speak to them and say what we need to say to have that intentional discussion. And Lord, for those who are here today that need to not bring up the things that will cause pain and hurt, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to withhold. Lord, for those who are here that need to be present and available, Lord, I pray you would open up their schedule. And for those who need to be near, give them a double portion of courage to leave the company of prophets and to stick close and cross the Jordan. I love you, Lord. Thanks for taking care of my dad at the end. Thanks for being there with him. And Lord, I thank you also for standing with me. And I thank you for the knowledge that when my day comes, Lord, you will be right there offering strength and ready to carry me to be with you for eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that promise thank you for that hope. Lord, I pray that it would be contagious today, that others would receive it in the same way. Speak to hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.